In this episode of Fictional Hangover, we talk about how pistons are raccoons, but not all raccoons are pistons. How nobody wants a hairy pickle. And about how Agatha is back there hiding behind the fern. In our discussion of Manners and Mutiny by Gail Carriger. Hey everybody, welcome to Fictional Hangover, a podcast about young adult and new adult books, series, authors, and voice actors that is full of spoilers. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. And today we're going to discuss Manners and Mutiny by Gail Carriger. <sighs> Finishing school book the fourth. <laughs> Standard disclaimer. If you haven't read this book, please remember that Fictional Hangover is all about spoilers. If you haven't read or listened and don't want to be spoiled, stop listening to us and go read or listen to the book. Then come back. If you haven't done this but want to pretend that you have, or if you don't care about spoilers, or if you just like the show so much that you don't care about any of that, then listen up. Yay! I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I know. I know. I said that the third one was my favorite. But this one is like the closest, closest second that there ever could be. It's like picking your favorite something important. Yes. You just can't. It's tough. It's hard to choose, but... It's so different from the from the others. It is. You're right. It is. But I mean, the third one was very different too because we were outside of the school and we were on a train, so... Kind of outside the school, flying from the yeah, in this one. yeah. But you're still on the school, you know, I, 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 despite the fact that you're flying. No, I still the insist. Air. Well, yes, I still insist that the entire series just reads like one great book, right? So, yes. yeah, I don't, I'm not going to pick a favorite. Yeah. But what I will say is, I adore <laughs> how huh. Miss Gill books bring people together because we know yes. everybody knows Miss Gill is integral to our origin story yes. capital O, capital S yes. but it's also for super fans Annie and Brie so yeah, yeah. <sighs> alright well I have a little bit of background info that has a picture that goes along with it so we'll have to remember to share Ooh. that one um, but Miss Gale says on her website, so this was the last in a series, which meant I had a lot to tie up. For this book, I ended up using three by five cards to keep track of the different threads and plots I needed to wrap up yet maintain pace. I also wanted to make certain I dropped the right plot points in at the right time without getting too hung up on any one thread. So she has provided a picture on her website of all of her cards that are color-coded, and they're all, like, spread out on the floor. So, um, just since, you know, audio podcast here, hello, um, I'm going to describe this picture. There are, uh, yellow cards are action cards, and there's 30 of them. Blue are information, and there's 22. Purple is romance or an emotional strand, and there are 16 of those. And there's one green one and the green one is the climax slash death card Ooh. Ooh. and 
and they're arranged on her floor spread out loosely by chapter and then she says that she would go in later and break the chapters down more but they're nicely arranged spread out all over the floor so I need to make sure to share that picture with everyone I think I know who's the green card I mean there's just one there's just one well there's one notable so anyway I feel like we need to tell everybody to settle in, folks. We really do. And what's special is that, surprise, there is a bonus episode. We were we got Miss Gale to come yes. back and join us. And I just, I'm I'm so ashamed at, at us that we didn't ask her to come and talk to us about ambush or a door. And I feel like there was a reason for it. There was a reason why we didn't ask her to do it. There was definitely a reason, because otherwise yeah. we would have. So I don't. I've got a feeling it might have been a like a break period for her. Yeah. Because she regularly, like you know, a lot of our authors have a regular like three month where they don't make any commitments. Right. Yeah. I just I've I can't remember. Got a feeling it might have been around then. Yeah. I don't know. But anyway, she came back and she always comes back. We talked wafting with her though, didn't we? We did. We did. But we we did not talk about wafting. We did, but we did not talk Ambush or Adore. We talked talked about Dimity's book and we talked about Precious' book, but I just, I don't know why we didn't ask her to join us for this one. Something had to have been going on, either in her life or our lives. Something was happening at that time. Definitely. Yeah. Anyway. I feel like we'll rectify that. We will. We will. We will. All right, so let us begin Manners and Mutiny, Finishing School, Book the Fourth. A ball at last! Are you kidding? There's been balls all over the place. (laughs) The great social... But not this ball! (laughs) No, this is a different ball. This is another special, special ball. The great social event will be held at Bunsen and Lacroix's Boys Polytechnique, and most of the girls at Mademoiselle Geraldine's Finishing Academy for Young Ladies of Qualité are excited. It's a chance to dance and flirt with a bevy of fresh meat. But what shall they wear? <gasps> Conversation turns to décolletage and endowment. Before Dimity and Agatha realize Sophronia has come over melancholic. Mostly because of soap, but also because of Felix. Lord Mercy, being a Bunsen's boy, will be at the ball and could uh, could get awkward. Because, uh, you know, ap- after what happened with train heist a couple months ago you know and the gunshots and all of that Sophronia has cut off all communication with him they are fundamentally different he is a racist against supernaturals whose family is out to destroy the world and Sophronia is in love with the werewolf Lady Lynette arrives at their table and informs the ladies that the ball is a perfect opportunity to test their intelligence skills, so they will not be attending as themselves, rather each other, and marked on this assignment. Oh, dear. Oh. will be at the ball as Agatha. Agatha as Dimity. 
dimity as pressure and pressure as Sophronia. Oh, on mass, Geraldine's girls descend on Bunsen and Lacroix's boys' polytechnique. Emulating Agatha, Sophronia hides at the back of the room behind a fern. <laughs> If you know, you know. Uh, if you know, you if know. If you know, you know. <laughs> Agatha sparkles and garners a lot of attention with her cinched waist and abundant assets. Dimity obviously hides a dark side with her snipes to her doting admirers. Proving her intelligence is outdated, Pressure eyes up Felix, who looks older and more tired and isn't wearing his guyliner. <laughs> he is not wearing his pistons coal eyeliner and that is really devastating for those of us who fancy eyeliner on the gentleman mm-hmm. Pillover finds Sophronia in his words lurking like a reluctant hedgehog and knows something is up but isn't sure exactly what While Sophronia reminds him that they need to throw each other off from their pesky engagement, Dimity uses her fan to communicate that there is an enemy among them. (gasps) It's Monique. Why is she here? She is done with school. She needs to get out. What is she doing? She's one of these that just hangs around because they can't be cool outside of school. She peaked in high school. (laughs) She did. From their train heist adventure, Sophronia knows that Monique, now a drone of the Westminster Hive, has been keeping tabs on the Picklemen, who have been replacing the crystalline valves in mechanicals in order to control them. Now, everyone who knows there's a problem with the mechanicals is stuck, waiting for something to happen. After Sophronia instructs Pillover to go and dance with Agatha, Felix sits down next to her. He tries to persuade Sophronia that his father is working for the best interests of the Empire, but Sophronia doesn't believe that one bit. Using her own fan, Sophronia signals for extraction, and it is Agatha who comes to her rescue. Proving the fern was not the hiding spot Sophronia supposed it to be, Vievre Le Fou, in the guise of the Bunsen's boy, Gaspar Le Fou, comes sidling up, clearly seeing that Sophronia is on assignment as Oh, Vievre. So clever. She knows. She knows the lady's quality ways. Mr. Le Fou invites his new acquaintance, Miss Temenik, to dance. While they dance, they discuss Monique's presence. Viev tells Sophronia that there are other very well-dressed visitors with green bands around their hats who have been seen at the school. <gasps> Pickleman! Sophronia and Viev agree to meet an hour before dawn behind a pub called the Nib and Crinkle. Meanwhile, Dimity is surrounded by pistons and Agatha and Pillover are dancing. They dance two more times and then Pillover hands Agatha a gift, which, in a big show of flirtation, she stuffs down her bodice. This blatant show of preference allows Sophronia to cry off their engagement, which she does so by a letter to him and her mother. 
back in their rooms, the girls stay up to dissect the evening. Agatha reveals the gift from Pillover was a depraved lens of crispy magnification, that Pillover has reached nefarious genius status, and the Pistons have finally stopped bothering him, as everything he makes has a tendency to... explode. (laughs) (laughs) Sophronia admits she found it difficult to be Agatha, while Agatha enjoyed being Dimity. Dimity tells her it was a pleasure to watch and gives her blessing for liking Pillover because Agatha is much better than those silly little chits who follow the him chattering. around. The Dimit- chattering! The chattering! The <laughs> chattering! Sorry. Dimity found it easy to be pressure and declares it an interesting place to visit but not somewhere she would like to live and offers her friends an apology for all the nasty things she said Ooh. about them. You know she oh. did well. I, I, Dimity must have gotten very high scores for this one. Later, outside the Nib and Crinkle, Viev is waiting for Sophronia, smelling like a bar, which is all part of her disguise if she's found out of school. Sophronia points out that Viev is turning into a rake, which is just stopping. It's stopping. Getting back to business, Sophronia pulls out the crystalline valve they stole from the train a few months back and asks Viev to install it into Bumbersnoot. Sophronia would like to use Bumbersnoot as an early warning device. If Viev can make the valve make his steam alarm sound, then Sophronia will be alerted when the Picklemen make their move. It's a brilliant, unique challenge that may take some time, but Viev is up for it. Before they part, Viev tells Sophronia she saw younger picklemen, likely Spicers, leave Bunsen's on foot shortly before her. Sophronia will need to investigate. On her way back to the school, Sophronia spots Monique on the goat path, looking up at the school through a telescope. Squinting up, Sophronia can see three shadows in top hats scrambling toward the pilot's bubble. Picklemen are breaking (gasps) into the school! The proximity alarms aren't sounding because they were turned off since Professor Braithwarp is taken to dancing along the stabiliser beam, so Sophronia will have to set the alarms off herself. Dashing out of cover toward the dirigible, Monique isn't the only one to spot her as a Pickleman watcher steps out in front of her. As the Pickleman threatens her with his gun, a shot is fired and the Pickleman falls. Monique steps forward, her own freshly fired pistol in hand. Up in the dirigible, the shot has woken some of the teachers, and the picklemen start scrambling faster. The sooties lower a rope ladder down so Sophronia can dash up. Since Soap left, Smokey Bones, the city's cat, has been the de facto leader of the cities, but the cat lets Handel do most of the work. Point in fact, when Sophronia calls for the closest alarm hallway, it is Handel who points to a door she's never seen before. Behind, the room is filled with mechanicals, and Sophronia is able to set off a cascade of alarms before using her obstructor to sneak out and head to the exterior of the dirigible, quickly making her way to the pilot's bubble. Sophronia quickly scrambles up and can see one of the picklemen inside the bubble. Once they've got what they came for, the three intruders rappel down. Sophronia tries to intercept them by swinging on her hurley. Unfortunately, she's only able to kick one of their hats and rips a satchel from their back. This is exactly when the teachers arrive. The teachers don't listen to Sophronia and choose to believe that she has concocted a wild story as to why she was caught. 
The sack is empty, which doesn't help her case, and she can hardly admit to have been clambering about the dirigible for years without being caught and having her gadgets confiscated. The teachers won't even entertain her request to check the pilot's bubble. Crazy. Sophronia's punishment for her wild story and being caught out is a rigorous course in scullery duties, leaving no time for her to investigate the pilot's bubble. Oh, no. Dang it. Since Captain Nile is off with the werewolves, Professor LeFou has taken over his weapons training, and this time they're learning the crossbow. Sophronia is a natural and moves on to a heavier, more deadly crossbow straight away. This lesson, however, is slightly different from the other weapons, as they shall have a live target. Live. Live target. Live. Live It's Professor Braithwaite. (laughs) After sunset, the eccentric vampire joins the ladies on deck and no one can hit him while he's prancing about. Sophronia suggests a variation on the fan and sprinkle technique used on werewolves and produces a cream puff from a sleeve, lobbing it at Professor Braithwaite, who cries in distress at the puff dirtying his trouser leg. Sophronia shoots her metal bolt and the professor reaches for a handkerchief with one hand and the bolt with the other. That was Sophronia's last bolt, so she charges Professor Braithwaite with her bladed fan, but he catches her before she can strike. He's fascinated with her neck, and his fangs start to show. But luckily, Professor LeFou steps in the way. Sophronia realizes that Professor Braithwaite's condition after the tether snap is getting worse. Oh, Time passes and the school floats to Swiffle on X ahead of winter break. Viev waits for Sophronia at their arranged meeting place, once again stinking of ale and carrying Bumba Snoot complete with modification. Unfortunately, Viev can't guarantee that the valve installation will work like Sophronia wants it to as there is no way to test it. Viev then asks Sophronia to take her aunt a rather large box. It's her Christmas gift, which is a questionable hat. It's inordinately ugly and made up to look like the solar system. Thankfully, it's not for wearing. Although I would wear that hat. I mean, come on. It sounds delightful, really. Later, Sophronia, Dimity, and Agatha are sitting in a tea house, waiting to be collected for winter break, and Dimity offers for Sophronia to come with her. Agatha thinks a Christmas without family would mean blessed freedom. Instead of the usual cart being driven by Roger, a carriage pulls up, and Sophronia's sister, Petunia, steps down. Petunia has married well after one season to Mr. Hisselpinny, a doting husband with a good income, which Petunia is more than willing to spend. Sophronia is Petunia's new shopping project, and they will go to London for new outfits and Christmas shopping. The fact that soap is in London has nothing to do with Sophronia's excitement. Not at all. Nope. We're not excited to see soap at all. Petunia has been charged to bring Agatha and Dimity along with her since her husband and Agatha's father are associates. At dinner, it is revealed that Petunia is increasing, which is an excuse for Dimity to stay with them. Days are spent shopping and Sophronia is actually happy to be the recipient of her sister's attention. 
During one trip, Agatha has to point out to Sophronia that Petunia likes to spend time with her, as not everyone has an ulterior motive like they've been taught. Suddenly, there is a distraction from the front of the shop, and Sophronia is left alone. Sure, that was purposeful. Turning, she spots a strong, well-dressed gentleman. Mm. Not a dandy, but mm. definitely fashionable. <gasps> it's soap. Oh, well, oh, oh, sweet. Oh, sweet. Soap wants to know why Sophronia hasn't been to visit him since slipping out of a London townhouse wouldn't be a challenge for her. Truthfully, because Soap always deserves the truth because he's precious and wonderful in every way, Sophronia tells him she wasn't sure she would be welcomed. Soap thought her preference lay with Lord Mercy, but Sophronia knows Felix cannot be turned away from his Pickleman beliefs. Suddenly, Soap grabs Sophronia indecently close and whips her away to the back room of the shop, nuzzling her ear. Soap tells her there can be no more friendship between them. That boiler is dry. While Sophronia declares there can be nothing between them, he is supernatural and she's not. Soap promises he will change her mind. Soap has another purpose for seeking Sophronia out other than smelling her and laying a kiss on her hand, though. He has an invitation to a dinner party and theatrical production with Lord Akeldama. Sophronia asks Soap if they can arrange a safe place to meet in case they are compromised. Soap is exasperated at Sophronia's intelligence or ways of thinking, but agrees that they could always plan to meet at Regent's Square an hour before dawn. This is important. Oh, Soap's back. I love him. I love him so much. Petunia is delighted by the invitation to attend Lord Ockledarman's dinner party. They must find dresses. Dresses. Lord Akeldama is the height of fashion. When they arrive, Lord Akeldama infuses over the delightful butterflies before him and finds them matching drones as escorts for all the ladies, except Sophronia, who he escorts in himself. Oh! Sophronia, it turns out, is a subject of great interest. In Lord Ockledam's parlour, Sophronia notes that the vampire's decor is resplendent, but practical, with many of the pieces also doubling as weapons. After the short but witty play, The Importance of Wearing Ermine, an interesting assortment of dinner guests start to arrive and include the Queen's inventor, the beta of the local werewolf pack, and the Dwan, minus Soap. No doubt the potentate also has a representative present. At the dinner table, Sophronia notes that Lord Akeldama has separated all of Mademoiselle Geraldine's girls, and the table is decorated in such a way that they can't communicate with each other. Just as they're about to eat, Monique was. Oh, Monique. Sophronia is forced to converse with Monique sitting opposite her, and as is typical, they verbally jab at each other. Monique mentions a dirigible recently purchased by the Westminster Hive and that every drone is encouraged to learn how to fly it. Monique declares it's not flywomen that concern the hive, but those who skulk behind them. 
This is said during a lull in conversation, causing the whole table to turn and look at Monique, who uses this as an opportunity to call out Lord Akeldama, the Dewan, and the London Alpha for not doing anything. But then the conversation returns to normal. Sophronia signals to Monique, what was that about? And amazingly, Monique responds, but her hand signals lack specificity. Both then turn to listen to the conversations taking place around the table. One conversation of note is another potential opera incident with the mechanicals. The newspaper man at the centre of this tibet mentions a wave of incidents sweeping the nation. Meanwhile, Bumbus Snoot has started moving and is desperate to go for a wander, so Sophronia lets him down, sure Lord Akeldama's drones will cope with the sausage dog and fully expecting them to dress poor Bumbus Snoot <laughs> up. <laughs> that was so cute. Back in Dimity's conversation with the newspaper man, he mentions that the mechanicals are shutting down completely, not singing. Then arguments and political accusations start flying involving the whole table. Sophronia supposes this is the true agenda of the Pickleman, to make the government look incompetent and their political allies rush in and save the day. Lord Akeldama stands, causing the conversation to stop, and he invites them into the drawing room, where he has something interesting to show them. Sophronia, Dimity and Agatha dawdle to confer before following their host. As they reach the drawing room, a shrill, whiny noise and woof sounds... It ends with a big boom and a cloud of smoke as it emanates from inside. <gasps> oh, Bumbus no! Newt. No. Inside the drawing room is a tableau of chaos. In the center, the parts of an unidentifiable machine are scattered everywhere. And the supernatural guests are shielding some of the humans, but others are down, clothes torn and bloody. Sophronia reaches for Petunia, who was shielded by the Duan, looking for Bumbersnoot amongst the melee. Petunia tells her that Lord Akeldama recently took possession of an odd mechanical he wished to show them, and in the next moment, there is a tea kettle whistle and a whoosh. The young ladies help administer to the injured, and even Monique joins. Sophronia checks on one guest, who turned out to be Madame Spatuna, who risked a lot to get information to Sophronia, including setting this whole thing up. Whoa! Madame Spatuna tells her that the Picklemen are building war mechanicals, which was what just exploded. And the pilot technology of Mademoiselle Geraldine's was used as a blueprint and that Sophronia needs to tell Lady Lynette and make her believe her. Unfortunately, Sophronia doesn't find Bumbersnoot. So she leaves a note requesting the return of her ridicule. Please give him back. back Please at- give him back. <laughs> One Italian sausage dog ridicule. Please return to the Hisselpenny residence. Thank you. Anywho, back at the Hisselpenny residence, over a game of loo and lemonade, Sophronia, Dimity and Agatha deconstruct the evening and discuss potential action. All ladies noted that there was a butler who was rather suspicious, as he was particularly well-armed and alert. Sophronia then excuses herself that Chimney Sweep has left a calling card, which is actually a message from Soap that he is waiting for her. To the sounds of her friends making kissy noises. So, 
Soap is waiting with the Dewan, who wants to know what Sophronia thinks about the evening. He finds her concern about the butler amusing, stating he's with him and will play nice for now, and that his former master is dead, so he has cause to play nicely with queen and country. Sophronia gives the Dewan her conclusion that the Picklemen are trying to discredit the supernatural set, which he considers but disagrees with, thinking it's something more subtle and that they only need the right command center to make use of their mechanical army. The Duan informs Sophronia that Duke Goulburn has been elevated to the Grand Gherkin, a pickleman position second only to the Chutney, and says that a petty man shouldn't be in such power. The Duan requests that Sophronia try to get information from Felix. Sure, her wiles will still work, while Soap growls in the background. As Sophronia heads back in, the Duan tosses her bumper snoot. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> the remainder of the London trip is uneventful. After Christmas, the group convened at the Tamanic residence before heading back to Mademoiselle Geraldine's finishing academy for young ladies of quality. And Bunsen and Lacroix's boys' polytechnic. Agatha is first to arrive and simply wishes... She could disappear amongst a gaggle of siblings instead of being the sore child and constant disappointment of the overbearing father. Dimity and Pillover arrive whilst they are taking tea and soon they are off. On their return, the ladies find a Christmas card from Sid here waiting for them in their parlour. There are no hidden messages, but it is clear she is happy in Scotland with her pack and her affianced. Oh, Oh, Sid here. There's no rest for the intelligence or in training, and lessons restart quickly. Sophronia tries to pass on Madame Spatuna's message to Lady Lynette, but she will hear nothing of it, so Sophronia decides it's time to break into the records room again that night. Dimity is reluctant, but agrees to go with her, and Agatha opts not to come, because she prefers to sleep. With you there, Agatha. Same. With you there. Same Z's. <laughs> Sophronia and Dimity make their way to the records room and find it disappointingly unguarded and abandoned looking after their first break-in. Why would the teachers take the traps away? It is, however, deathly quiet, and as soon as Sophronia starts up the machine, she realises it is likely to cause the teachers to come running within 20 minutes, so they have to be quick. With Dimity on time check, Sophronia cranks the machine to life. After some time, Sophronia locates Madame Sophronia's record and learns that her real name is Lavish Vita. There's is... no way that is a real name. It is too perfect. <sighs> it is perfect. Vita. And she has been indentured to the school and showing consistent results over two decades of service. The last note was from three months ago, noting that she is missing and presumed lost. <sighs> Dimity calls time, so Sophronia hides her search, but as they leave, they find Lady Lynette, Professor LeFou, and Professor Braithwaite sitting in the hallway playing. Oh, dang. Love it. Love I'm it. glad they let them finish what they were up to. Well, it's rude to interrupt. <laughs> Speaking of, Sophronia and Dimity have to wait for the teachers to play their hand before Lady Lynette dispenses punishment. But they finally learn that they are forbidden to attend the upcoming New Year celebration and will instead have to look after Professor Braithwaite during the event. Back in their rooms, Sophronia points out something curious. 
Lady Lynette didn't ask what they were looking for in the record room. Sophronia then asked Dimity what records she looked at, and her response is Sophronia's, Agatha's, Monique's, and her own, of course. And then she tried for Sidhe's, but hers was not there. Oh. Now, Dimity learned that the teachers think she is better than she thinks she is, which is delightful. Monique's files had a lot of information about her hive, and Sophronia's indicate what she expected, that the teachers recommend she be an independent intelligencer, but no, she has made a promise to be indentured to the Dwan. Agatha's file was the most interesting, and said that she had dealings with Lord Akeldama before, and there was a note that said they think she was running a long-form field operation. Huh? Is Agatha that good? No way. She's failing all classes, isn't she? Oh, wow. <sighs> okay. It's now New Year's Eve, and Sophronia and Dimity are well-situated with Professor Braithwope on his private balcony watching the festivities. Even Bumbersnoot is enjoying the spectacle, dressed for the occasion in a black cravat. After they watch <laughs> the Bunsen's boys board... Sophronia and Demity try to shivvy Professor Braithwope inside when Handel appears on the outside of the balcony with a message for Sophronia that someone is waiting for her down on the ground. <gasps> Swinging down, Sophronia lands in Soap's arms. <gasps> Swoon! After Soap steals some very passionate kisses, Sophronia finds out he is there without the Juan's knowledge and being aided by Viev, who steps out from the house. Oh, Viev. Sophronia is angry that Soap is risking so much when it is the full moon the next night, so he better have a bloody good reason to endanger himself other than declarations of love. Oh, does. <laughs> Picklemen have infiltrated the school disguised as Bunsen's boys. This actually doesn't assuage Sophronia and they begin to bicker and the high emotions paired with the nearness of the full moon sparks Soap's change. Viev pulls out a blunderbuss and shoots him. <laughs> surrounding him in a silver net which stops the change. Ever the practical French inventor. Oh. <laughs> For medicinal purposes, Viev suggests that Sophronia kiss Soap. In the meantime, the school has started to drift, and so they scramble to get Sophronia aboard. After Sophronia gets back to Professor Braithwaite's room, she and Dimity decide to sneak to the tea party because they have Pickleman to find. The tea party is in full swing. Sophronia and Dimity spot Agatha and Pillover conversing rather intently. Then Agatha spots them and signals to them. The signals <laughs> make no sense, though. So, exacerbated, Agatha and Pillover dance their way over. Pillover had told Agatha about the Pickleman infiltration already, and unfortunately, the cads have made their way into the school. Oh! <gasps> Felix wanders over then to flirt and also mock. He spitefully teases Sophronia about knowing what the pickle men are up to before wandering off. Then, 
the proximity alarm goes off. <gasps> Mademoiselle Geraldine tells the room to remain calm and sends the teachers to investigate the alarm while she stays behind. Unfortunately, Mademoiselle Geraldine spots Sophronia trying to sneak out. Then the whole dirigible shudders and lists. With orders to stick to your tea, Geraldine's girls and Bunsen's boys try to maintain decorum. But the school has started to sink and anything that could move does until the school crashes to the moor. Lady Lynette returns, declares that they are being attacked by flywomen and that they are to evacuate to Bunsen across Boys Polytechnic. Quick, grab the cakes! (laughs) Suddenly, (laughs) Professor Braithwaite dashes through the dining room, holding the siding bolt for the military mechanicals on deck. Oh, no, they forgot about him! (laughs) They were supposed to be watching him! Oh, God! With orders to leave the ship en masse, the students and teachers head out, but Mademoiselle Geraldine remains, stating she never leaves the ship. Sophronia asks Lady Lynette if she may return, worried about picklemen aboard, Sooty's repairing gas links, a roving vampire, and their clueless and tipsy headmistress. Reluctantly, and with stipulations, Lady Lynette agrees. Informing her friends about what she is going to do and that they aren't to accompany her, Sophronia tells them she needs them to help keep Soap safe and get a word to the Dewan. At this point, Agatha confesses that she can help with that because she's been working for Lord Akeldama the entire time they've been at the school. Nicely done, Agatha. Nicely done. Quietly making her way back to the downed dirigible, Sophronia watches the greasers and sooties at work. There doesn't appear to be that much damage. As three big airships speed towards them, Sophronia realises that the picklemen didn't want to get rid of the school. They wanted to steal it. Oh. Um, I wonder if they were inspired by Sophronia stealing the train. Yes, because Sophronia is amazing and what she does is is brilliant. Yes. The Picklemen <laughs> take the ship, threatening and, in one case, killing a city who tried to escape. Sophronia manages to sneak aboard through the kitchen and enter the school proper. It is disconcertingly quiet as she weighs her options with Lady Lynette's lessons ringing through her head and the feeling of the dirigible beginning to float. First things first, she must assess the situation. Sophronia finds the hold full of giant gargoyle-esque mechanicals, and making her way to the boiler room, she finds the cities being worked like slaves. Sophronia then checks the teachers' rooms and takes whatever useful weapons she can find, including a wicker chicken, which explodes. Oh, the wicker chicken! In the dining hall, Sophronia spots the bulk of the pickleman. The head table is set with food before a portly man with a large beard sporting a green ribboned hat that is taller and shinier than the others. This must be the chili. Amongst the flywomen is Madame Spatuna. She's she a traitor or an infiltrator? Continuing to the record room, Sophronia notes an increased number of mechanicals. So getting there takes longer than usual. Inside, she finds a pickleman making copious notes and a deep-voiced pickleman shouting for the note-taker to hurry up. 
Sophronia needs to be careful as she follows him to the administration room. Sophronia presses her hearing trumpet to the door and hears Mademoiselle Geraldine and Professor Braithwaite inside. Now that Sophronia knows all the players, she can start to plan. Heading to Lady Lynette's classroom, Sophronia stages a dramatic scene where she looks regal and guileless while playing the harp. Dreadfully, it should be said. For the note-taker to find her, and it works a treat. The poor Pickleman is no match for Sophronia, as society dictates he must be polite, and so she's able to confuse him with fripperies, drama, and a wicker chicken, and then knock him out and tie him up. (laughs) Once he's hidden under a piano, Sophronia grabs her prizes, his notebook, and Professor Braithwaite's siding bolt, and heads to find her next victim. Deep voice. Posing as a maid bearing refreshments, Sophronia enters Deep Voice's room. Spotting Mademoiselle Geraldine tied up and Professor Braithwaite caged, injured, and naked. Ooh. Hang on. Mademoiselle Geraldine is far too calm to be an annoying headmistress tied to a chair. She's been on the true purpose of the school all along. Gosh, damn it! (gasps) Finally, dropping her act, Sophronia readies her weapons, and when the moment presents itself, she sprays acid at deep voice, and as he pours at his face, Sophronia presses her bladed fan to his neck. Mademoiselle Geraldine, who has been free for quite some time, thank you very much, then frees Professor Braithwaite and they all enjoy a light repast. <laughs> when the professor is full and healed, he throws his leftovers out the window. <laughs> Bye, deep voice. Oh. Bye. Imagine just a corpse <laughs> falling down from the sky and landing. Ooh. Au revoir. <laughs> Split. After Professor Braithwaite bops another pickleman who came knocking on the administration room door, Sophronia shows her headmistress and the professor where their prisoners can be hidden, trussed up under the balconies. (laughs) Secured Ah. in Sophronia's private room, the three make plans to take back the dirigible. Professor Braithwaite and Mademoiselle Geraldine will secure the pilot's bubble and squeak deck, while Sophronia will liberate the dining hall with the help of the wicker chicken. The next evening, with the school over halfway to London, is set off to take back the school. Sophronia heads to the dining hall to find the flywomen, Pickleman and Madame Spatuna surrounding the chimney. When the older intelligencer spots Sophronia, she indicates the explosive nature of the wicked chicken in her hands. Madame Spatuna tries to offer a distraction, indicating for Sophronia to remain hidden, and as she sneaks out, Sophronia leaves the chicken in Madame Spatuna's capable hands. The older intelligencer makes a grab for it and sacrifices herself oh. in the explosion. Sophronia is thrown from the dirigible, glass and shrapnel everywhere, and as she dangles from the ship by her hurley, she instinctively set off. The world fades oh, to black. Oh no, she got exploded. <sighs> Sophronia wakes in a great deal of pain and somehow climbs to Sister Maddie's balcony, but passes out again. She's woken sometime later by Bumbersnoot making a loud whistling noise. The Picklemen have activated the valves! Handel oh no. bursts open the balcony door and drags her inside. 
Mademoiselle Geraldine is also there, lying prone, having taken a bullet to the calf, while Professor Braithwope is asleep in the potting shed. <laughs> Once handled, Dr. Sophronia, updates are provided on what transpired in their tasks. Next, Sophronia will have to liberally use Mademoiselle Geraldine's fake pastries, which turn out to be explosives, <laughs> to take out the rest of, of the picklemen. Of course they are. Of course. <laughs> the only thing they can do to crash the school before reaching London because the picklemen have already started to take over the mechanicals and once in the capital they will deploy the mechanimals they have in the hold yikes Ooh. before heading out to crash the ship Sophronia spots a small airship following them and suspects it's her friends Sending a message via crossbow board to meet at the soapy entrance, she watches the other airship dip down. Yay! It's them! Now Sophronia and the others have to get down to the hatch. They liberate the sooties and, with a tiny invading army, the boiler room is taken. Outside in the airship, Sophronia finds Dimity and Agatha with Monique at the helm and Felix manning wow. the boiler. That Ooh. is shocking. Quickly, the cities scramble to the smaller ship, followed by Mademoiselle Geraldine, who declares Sophronia properly finished. Dimity declares that she will stay with her, but Sophronia has an important job for her to do. Dimity needs to get the word out about the Pickleman and the mechanicals, so she hands over the notes she took from the Pickleman tied to the piano. <laughs> with a carpet bag full of options, Monique joins Sophronia. She's dreamed of taking down the school, so here's her chance. <laughs> As they head to the squeak deck to set off the soldier mechanicals, Sophronia and Monique take out the lamps, filling the hallways with gas. Once there, Sophronia takes out the key Mademoiselle Geraldine gave her and activates the mechanicals, who will come rolling out on deck. Taking the sighting crossbow, Sophronia fires at one of the balloons and her second bolt goes into the back section of the ship. Suddenly, the Chutney and Grand Gherkin appear on deck with their bully boys. A fight ensues as the ship bobs, sways and explodes around them. As the Picklemen start going down, Monique pulls two parachutes from her carpet bag, handing one to Sophronia. Monique jumps from the deck. Meanwhile, the Chutney and Grand Gherkin are scrambling to snatch Sophronia's parachute and fighting each other off for it. Suddenly, Professor Braithwaite jumps down, feral with bloodlust, and sucks the chutney's blood, while Sophronia kicks at the Grand Gherkin before diving from the ship herself. The school split, burning above her. After the crash, the werewolves reach the site first and sort the Picklemen into three batches. Dead, not dead, and snack-sized. Conveniently, one pickleman turned ghost and was willing to cooperate. Soap turns up but can't find Sophronia's scent, and becoming convinced something happened to her, he dashes off to their assigned meeting space. Mademoiselle Geraldine, along with Dimity, Agatha, Felix, and the cities, land in the hive airship, and the headmistress starts directing operations. The Grand Gherkin survived and was taken into custody. 
Sephronia, who landed in someone's garden atop a box of sprouts, makes the long walk to Regent's Square, but doesn't arrive before dawn. Soap finds her half asleep under a bush. No! Oh. <laughs> Soap transforms from his wolf form and they share kisses and declarations and Sophronia realises that's always been Soap in her heart. Social differences <sighs> be damned. Soap also points out he never asked for marriage and they both think that lovers are living in sin has a oh, nice ring to it. As dawn approaches, they realise they must seek shelter, and the nearest and best option is Lord Akeldama's. The vampire himself opens his front door and welcomes them both in, only slightly pleased that Soap is handsome <laughs> Directing them to a large drawing room and to enter the care of his drawn pillpaw, Lord Akeldama retires for the day. It's got to be handy having a very handsome, very muscular... Very naked man as yeah, a calling card. Just, <laughs> just imagine his surprise at opening the door. Oh my! Oh, Ooh. please come in. I need to see Ooh. you walk through the door. Here, hand off Sophronia to someone else and let me look at you. Philpo <laughs> takes very good care of Sophronia, supplying a place to rest, food, a doctor, a bath, and best of all, tea. Hmm. Once set to rights, Sophronia re-enters the drawing room and finds Dimity, Agatha, Lady Lynette, Sister Maddie, Pillover, several cities, and Smokey Bones the cat. Pillover will be moving up to reprobate genius for helping Lady Lynette and Sister Maddie escape to Bunsen's. Sophronia explains what happened aboard the school and apologizes to Lady Lynette and Sister Maddie about the school's loss. But no matter, Mademoiselle Geraldine has a bee in her bonnet about starting a school for underprivileged boys and training them to be physicians, so the rest of the teachers will go off to their own occupations. Eventually, Monique stops by, bringing the morning paper. The leading article is about the Pickleman engaging in treason, and there is now public outcry against mechanicals. Before taking her leave, Monique stares at Lady Lynette until eventually her old teacher declares her finished. Not that it really matters <laughs> anymore, but principle. She also declares Dimity and Agatha finished Aww. too. Aww. Mademoiselle Geraldine adopted Handel, and they immigrated to America, where Handel became a very well-respected and rich physician. Lady Lynette opened an acting school in London. Sister Maddie set up shop in a seaside resort. Viev graduated Bunsen's to distinction, moved back to France, attended university, and set up a shop with her aunt. Professor LeFou was seen on occasion returning to Dartmoor, where there were rumors of an eccentric hermit who liked to dance with the rabbits. Meanwhile, while they wait for Soap to be trained, Sophronia is to be installed with a respectable family to look out for a baby who inherited the mechanical patents that certain unsavory Italians are showing a bit too much interest in. After the Pickleman treason, all mechanicals were destroyed with the exception of Bumbersnoot who was gifted to Queen Victoria and became the royal alarm dog. 
Rumor has it, he's still wandering about the palace, shedding small piles of ash. <gasps> That's the end. Or oh, is it? it? <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, it's so good. Should we want to have a sweet over song? We again? should. <sighs> you guys listen to this ad from another podcast. We're going to swim. Hi there. I'm Volley, one of the hosts of the Reading Queens podcast. If you love books, fandom discussions, and having a good time, join your new internet friends as we take on such topics and more. Hosted by a group of published authors, Reading Queens is a podcast for every book lover. Every week, we get together to blab about our favorite books, why we love them, and the book boyfriends we wish were real. You can find the episodes on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other platforms, with a new episode launching every Wednesday. Thanks. Now back to the show. This one's not going to be easy to discuss. No. No, it's not. So much happens in this one, but it's all wrapped up so nicely. It is. It's It's like, if you say, what are your standout moments? I'm like, yeah, from page one to page end. It's yes. just yeah, full on all the way through. There's yeah. so much goes on. Yeah. And like you say, it's wrapped up nicely. What are your standout moments? I really enjoyed the ball where they all switched roles. I thought it was wonderful. Yes. And then Sophronia pretending to be Agatha hiding behind a potted plant. <laughs> it's our favorite thing that has ever happened with Agatha. And there there she is. Agatha hiding behind a plant. <laughs> so good. I love that. I love that scene. Especially when oh. Pillover comes over and he's like, What? Why are you being so... What, what is happening? And then Felix is like, oh, you're not acting like yourself at all. And you just want to say, no, duh. Is anybody? Use your brain, Felix. <laughs> Stupid jerk. Your eyes use them. Mm. Jeez. You're... They're not exactly taught to be observant at Bunsen's, though, are they? Mm-mm. He probably can't observe what's going on around him on account of all the eyeliner. Yeah, it's just so thick at this point. They never clean it off, they just keep applying layers. They just keep adding it. Layers and layers and layers. So when you finally see him without the eyeliner, it's because he's sweated it off and it's just fallen off as one clump. Yes. There's a on the floor. Yeah, and it's like a pair of sunglasses fell off. Exactly. He looks like a raccoon. Yeah. Yeah, he's taken off his mask. Eventually, all, yep, yeah, all pistons look like raccoons. Yes, pistons are raccoons. <laughs> That's what I'm gathering from this conversation. Fact. All pistons are raccoons, but not all raccoons are pistons. Yes, it's a mathematical equation, really. No, I think you're right because if you look, if you look at Felix and. and and Pillover, our examples, at Bunsen's Boys. Mm-hmm. One is a raccoon, one is not. Yes. 
<laughs> one is a raccoon and one is not. <laughs> one is a piston and one is not. It's very good. Okay, raccoons aside. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about another animal. Chickens. Yes, the wicker chicken. Oh, I love the wicker chicken. Yes, the wicker chicken. Finally. And it's so... Isn't it in the first book as well that it's mentioned? Yes. I think it was gifted to Monique from a Bunsen. Yes, by a Bunsen. Um, But I love that, you know, if you read the other the other series, you know that the wicker chicken is uh, very important. Oh, oh really? really? Oh, indeed. <laughs> yes. But Madame Spatuna. Oh, oh, I know. That was pretty sad. There's the green card. There it is. The green card of death. Yep. Because, I mean, we have we have deep voice. Who was right. the snack who got thrown overboard? Yeah, those guys don't count. No, the sooty. And there'll have been others. But yeah. yeah, the green card had to have been Madame Spatuna. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And she wasn't lost. No. She was just She was in too deep. Undercover. Yeah. Yeah. Um do you know I also really enjoyed finding out about Mademoiselle Geraldine? Like <laughs> learning that she actually knew what was going on the entire time. She's very talented. She's a very oh, yes. talented intelligencer. Um and I really liked Do you think she keeps to... the French accent in America? Oh, I hope so. I was really happy to see her in action a little bit. You know, we don't get to see yes. much because we're yes. focused on Sophronia, but still, I liked I liked knowing that she was taking care of business. I would love Mademoiselle Geraldine's origin story. Oh, I know. Wouldn't it be so great? I'd love Lady like, Lynette and Sister Maddie, too. Like, all mm-hmm. of them. And Sister Maddie's. Yes, I want them all. I want yeah. them all. Yeah. I just think it would be so interesting. You kind of think... Were they the original, like, Sophronia, Dimity, and Agatha? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe they were, yeah. And then, you know, but they just accidentally fell into the life of being an intelligencer. Because it makes more money than being on the stage. Yeah. I would love to read those stories. Like, let's finish up with Delightfully Deadly. You know, we can get a few more of those stories in. But then let's... Mm -hmm. You know, let let's see where these professors got their starts. I would love to read those stories. And how did Professor Braithwaite become tethered to a dirigible? Yeah, how did that even? Mm. Exactly how? But also, like, where is the tether actually, like, attached? Yeah, because. The hermit in Dartmoor dancing with the rabbits. Is it because there's one particular plank of wood or like toggle on something that that is the, you know, the epicenter of the the tether? And as long as he's got that, in theory, he can... Maybe. What if he's 
be cool. What if he's tethered to the crossbow? Oh. (laughs) He did. It was very important to him. It was. It doesn't seem likely at all, but... (laughs) fun to pretend it's a family heirloom it's a sentimental crossbow yes Yes, indeed (laughs) it was my mother's she used it often do do you have any other standout moments (laughs) oh do you think Um, (laughs) Agatha's secret is finally out Mm, yes She's working for Lord Ackleton the, the entire, entire time. time. That's crazy. The first time I read the series, that was my <gasps> gasp yeah. surprise. Yeah. Um, probably more so than the Mademoiselle Geraldine. Now, see, that one was mine, and it's not the fact that she is an intelligencer the whole time. It's the fact that she was able to trick everyone else. The whole time. I mean, of course the professors knew. Of course they know. And they're, you know, they're all in on it. But I just, Mm -hmm. I love that nobody had any idea. Like, oh, you can't even pay attention to her. She's over there. We're having, you know, lessons about tea. Like, don't pay any attention to her. She's not important. And they all have to, like, sneak around. And they're doing fake lessons in her lessons. And... I don't know. I just, I really appreciated the fact that she was in on it the whole time. No, oh, I like, I mean, is a, is a, is a, is a lead? Yes, I absolutely adored it, but I wouldn't, it wasn't the big surprise for me the first time. It was, it yes. was Agatha. And the, this time, you know, after reading um, the Delightfully Deadly books, it was nice to revisit them and see all the little tidbits and, pieces and go how did i not know how could i not tell and you fool you fool it's all there it's and just knowing that agatha's secrets yeah it made me so happy you know after having reread these so many times and then in the last book sophronia finds out that she really likes using the bladed fan that's her weapon of choice and then yes Lord Akeldama just happens to send her one. Like, it was Agatha. She's like, hey, you need to yes. send her one of these because she'll really like it. Like, oh, it was so perfect. But you have no way of knowing. No, and... But it was just so... Oh, it's... I love, I love all these little... I mean, you know, to go back to one of... Another Gail Carragher collected edition. It's yes. fan service. It's so much yeah. fan service, but at the same time, it's it's gotta be satisfying. As oh yeah, as well. I I just absolutely I just love those yes. little tidbits. And still, when when the fern was mentioned <laughs> again this time, after us going crazy in um in Agatha's story about Agatha hiding behind a fern, I just tickled me. I I had to stop what I was doing and just have a bit of a giggle about it because it just reminds me of the conversations that we've had and how Agatha's behind every single fern. And I'm sure at that point, 
um, ambushing the door had just come out and everybody was talking about it and we were just all over the place going, but she's behind the she's fern. There. She's and there. we set so many seeds about Agatha hiding behind a fern. And then when it did come out properly and everybody was reading, we were like, see, we told she's you, there. she was behind she the fern. She was there the whole time. <laughs> she's behind you right now. Oh. oh, I loved it. I loved mm. it. Soap's grown up a bit, mine. Yes, I would love to open my door and see soap standing there. Come in, my darlings. Which butterflies have you got? Yes. His his wolfy protectiveness is coming out. But also it's it's like he's got the confidence to be assertive with her now and actually tell her because he are you know, societally wise of the same yeah. level. It's like you can finally say, That's I've never mentioned that. That's not what I want. I want you. I don't need Yeah, we don't need titles. We don't need any else. we don't need any of that stuff. We can just be together. No. And it's perfect. They're a perfect pairing. Yes. And I, I mean in all fairness to Sophronia, she's what, sixteen at this 16 point? Sixteen or seventeen, yeah. Yeah, she's still young. She's not going to realise, actually, I, I'm not going to be living a normal life. I'm going to be hiding yeah. myself for the vast majority. Yeah. So what happens behind closed doors for me is staying behind yeah. closed doors. Hmm. It it's is. Very interesting. It's nice to see her relationship with Petunia mature yeah. as well. And Petunia would not be quite so irritating because she's finally settled down with uh, Mr. Yes, Hitting. and she's increasing. Oh. oh and Softie's on oh. the way. <sighs> so wonderful. And it's nice to see Agatha and Pillow's relationship. Oh, I know. Oh, so I love them. It's so awkwardly yes, cute. I love them. Whereas Soap and Sophronia are quite like hot. Soap is hot. They're just so freaking awkward. Yeah. They're precious. They are very precious. And it just makes me want to go back and read Ambush or Door again. It does. It yeah. really does. And I very recently uh, read Reticence. <gasps> Because yeah. it gives you all the feels. <sighs> I don't know. It's so difficult. I mean, I feel like I'm just mentioning, or you know, we're both mentioning just everything that happens in the entirety of the book because it's just, it's the grand finale yes, of the series, and it's done exactly yes, as it should it's be. So good. It's so perfect, and it so perfectly ties into everything else going on in the universe, in the Parasolverse. Yeah. It's just. Miss Gale is so talented. Yes. Oh, she's. I don't think she gives herself enough credit on how. I don't think she does. Yeah. And putting those little tippets and those seeds in, or extracting them later, and going, yeah, that's going to be useful. We never find out who the chutney is, though. No, I don't think so. Great chutney. No, I don't. Never named. Because you know the Grand Gherkin is 
Felix's right. father. Who's the chutney? She's never named and she mm. Is that your surprise? Can I give you my surprise? I was about to say, is that your surprise chutney, that you don't know who the chutney is? <laughs> Partly. But the other part is, how much facial hair the Picklemen have? I mean, we today are dressed as right. Picklemen. The villains yes. of the piece. With sans right. facial hair. Yes. Because... But I was honestly surprised. I'd totally forgotten how much facial hair the Pickleman were described yeah. as having. <laughs> That's a very good surprise. <laughs> it's hard to have a surprise, though, after having read this series so many times. It really is. But it was nice that I'd totally forgotten about that and went, hang on, hang on wait what? a minute. No, yeah. ew. I do not want a hairy pickle. No. I'm sorry. No, no. If your pickle is hairy, put it back. Gross. Ugh, nobody needs nobody a hairy needs a hairy pickle. Ugh. Ugh. No. Mm-mm. I feel like we've got a lot of life lessons going on here. Yeah, I think you're right. That's a very important life lesson. <laughs> you know what I think yeah. I think it's time I think I think after that after that life lesson of nobody <laughs> nobody wants a hairy pickle I mean that's just the end that's the end of the discussion so we should play would you rather Would You Rather is extra special today because we are joined once again after many, many, many months by Miss Gail Carragher. Yay! Hello, hello. Glad to be back. It's been so long. So excited. It has been. So excited. Yes. Might even have been a year or two. It's been a while. Yeah. Um, Too long. Yeah, it, more than a year because I've been in Arkansas for more than a year now, and I was still in Seattle the last time we talked. I think so. Yeah, I think so. That is so weird. So weird. Wow. So weird. But it's great to have you back. Thank you for always humoring us. Of course, delighted, <laughs> delighted. Absolutely. All right, Claire, you want to ask our first question? Yes, we asked this on social media. So we have some lovely comments to read because people have really stepped up the game this week. Would you rather protect yourself with exploding pastries or an exploding wicker chicken? On Facebook, it was a straight up 50-50. We could not decide. On Instagram, wicker chicken won out with 75%. On Twitter, wicker chicken won just slightly with 58%. And on TikTok, the pastries are exploding with 58%. And we have some super fans and some regular commenters. So Brie on Facebook says, always the menacing wicker chicken. And I'm sure Brie, super fan Brie, was brought to the fictional hangover because of your books as well. I think that is true. <laughs> I think that is true. Um, Vincent on Facebook said, stale pastries are dangerous enough without adding explosives to them. Just ask my mate who got a black eye when a seagull dropped a stale pie on him. <laughs> it was a cheese pie. Was it a cheese eel. pie? <laughs> it was an eel pie, probably. Oh. 
Colin on Facebook said, I'd have to go with the wicked chicken. If I start messing around with pastries, I'd be all like, ooh, this looks tasty. Let's eat this bad lad. Forgetting I stuffed it with gunpowder and then I'd be all, oh dear, explosive indigestion. Then I'd probably just shit myself. <laughs> At least with the chicken, I'm not likely to try and eat it. Oh, oh my. It's been a long day. <laughs> Uh, Constance on Facebook said, as a professional pastry chef, it has to be with pastries. I'd be whipping them up as fast as I deploy them. Nice. Very good. Drew I want to be Facebook. her friend. <laughs> she makes some good pastries, Drew too. Of... Oh, she really does. We get pictures. It's lovely. I will try them one day. <laughs> and, oh, Drew, I will do Drew's on Facebook because it's possibly the most excessively British answer we've had which is explosive Greg's is the way to go. And if you don't know what a Greg's is, you're missing out. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what a, what a Greg's is. I do. It's a oh. bakery. It's, it's a high street style bakery. Okay. Okay. Um, it's a kind of a calf concept, but for sort of ready-made pastries. It's a thing. It's a British thing. It's excessively British. Excessively British, yeah. I'll take pictures and send you, and you'll be like, oh. Uh, okay, <laughs> okay. I'm excited for this. Um, everywhere. Do we need to read a couple more? Do we need to read uh, Dragonheart? need Dragon to read Heart? Annie's, because we Annie's do. a super fan. Yes, um, but I also I want to read Dragonheart9955 on Instagram. He's a new, becoming a new super fan. Uh, definitely Pastries yes. takes the phrase food fight to a whole nother level. And Annie on Facebook, again, was brought to us by Miss Gill. Yay! Who doesn't want a wicker chicken? <laughs> exactly, Annie. Everybody's exactly. got to want the wicker chicken. And I feel like we have to read L20 Kev, because we always read L20 Kev. Um, he says, chicken, in my family, that pastry isn't going to last long enough for me to insert the explosives. I'll literally buy the pastry, put it down on the kitchen countertop, go to get the explosives from the explosive drawer, and I'll look back and it'll have been eaten. Also, a safety tip, if you have a toddler, remember to put the child latch on your explosives drawer. <laughs> I have L20 Kev, I have, don't worry about that. I have one of my favorite comments was actually on twitter and was at epi underscore onic and it's life is short weaponized desserts first <laughs> Ooh, yeah that's a good quote yeah. sounds like, like something one. i would say <laughs> 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 all right so what's your answer miss gail oh it's an easy one for me it's pastry um and i just i approached it in a very logical way which is if it's going to explode the pastry will be tastier to clean up than the wicker chicken. The wicker chicken seems, you know, more wooden and uninteresting. And uh, I'm always going to go with something tasty in the end. Nice. I find pastries will probably be easier to deploy as well. Because the, the, there will be a lighter, smaller, easier to throw. Whilst the wicker chicken, you'd have to quite strategically place. Yes. Because Madame Spatuna did sacrifice herself. I feel like the wicker chicken would, I mean, sacrifices aside, would be a a good weapon to use because, you know, when it explodes, that's splinters and shrapnel that you can hurt more people with. You could maybe kill a couple of vampires. Have you ever taken a glacier cherry to the eye? (laughs) No. 
<laughs> no, I haven't. Yes, don't discount the strategically placed sesame seeds at high velocity. <laughs> <gasps> Flaked almonds. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, just shards of nuts. And what happens if you're using explosive pastry and they have a nut allergy? Oh, yeah, you're right. That's That's double danger. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think you're right, Amanda. Wicked Chicken is classic and it's iconic. It, yeah. One but of us... on the other hand, some pastry can get to wicker levels bad, depending <laughs> on who's making it. So... Oh no! <laughs> I really just feel like one of us had to choose wicker chicken. So it's me. I'm I'm sacrificing myself. I'm, well, to be fair, oh, thank you. If, we if we weren't talking explosives, just wicker chicken, I would pick her because very effective as a general rule. <laughs> <Yes>. So <laughs> probably your best option on deployment to get the job done, whatever that job might be. Uh, but pure, talking purely explosives, yes, I come I come down on pastry for taste reasons, and that's perfectly reasonable. Crampat. <laughs> Oh, oh. I'd be watching Bake Off. I'm crampat crazy at the moment. <laughs> they did do Custard Week. It was very exciting. Uh, don't spoil anything I haven't watched today. But um, yeah, I they did. They oh. did. It's up and down with me this season because uh, Mexican Week wasn't as bad as the brownie uh, incident, but it was almost there. Uh, and there was a lot of screaming at the television in my California-based household where we take Mexican food extremely seriously. And I'm I'm sorry, Claire, your people know nothing. 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 Don't even try. No, trust Don't. me. No, trust me. I'm embarrassed <laughs> on behalf of my entire nation uh -oh. about Mexican week. It, I mean, I, I, I do cook Mexican, but it's in air quotes Mexican you know <laughs> I have the Mexican cookbooks and I follow them but yeah you know I was embarrassed and especially for sorry Amanda Carol that week oh. was just shameful it was embarrassing it was terrible but I will say this week Yanush has something that oh no oh like, no oh no <gasps> Yeah, I, I will. The Mexican week, we were seriously discussing whether a pinata of Paul Hollywood was a possibility oh, <laughs> for Halloween because oh we were like, we need, only. we got to take it out on something because, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was upsetting. But like I said, it was. We thought it might be as bad as the brownies, but it wasn't as bad as the brownies, so it was all good. No, this week, this week is good, but something happens to one person's. And it's like, oh it's my hilarious. god, is it an so Ian and the Baked Alaska incident? <laughs> no, not at all. Oh, okay. But so it's in the technical challenge, okay, and then sorry. afterwards you'll go, ooh, okay, oh, I'm excited. And I'm then you'll go onto his Twitter, and then you'll see what his um, public statement is about it. Oh, oh, that's all I'm saying. My goodness. Okay, all right. It's not. It's 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 oh, being oh, made oh, more scandalous because I'm of politics and anything. Excited. Right, okay, sorry, let's get back. Sorry, Amanda. This has been Bake Off Corner with Gail and Claire. Well, now we're doing it to your regularly scheduled podcast. Don't me neither. It's very exciting. Okay. After the Great British Bake Off segment, we're back to Would You Rather. Would you rather be bamboozled by Agatha or Mademoiselle Geraldine? Uh, I pick Agatha. 
I pick Agatha just because I think Mademoiselle Geraldine, I could probably sort of figure out that it was happening. But with Agatha, you just never know. Like she really is so very subtle that uh, that's she was I wouldn't feel I wouldn't feel silly if if she'd gotten away with something because she always does. Is she behind that plant in your office, by the way? She currently it's hiding entirely out there. possible. I don't know because I would not notice her if she were. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so funny! I th- I'm agreeing again. Bamboozled by Agatha, because especially if you're Sophronia, the fact that your friend has managed to do that for at least the past two, close to three years, really, and she's just performed so well you haven't picked up on it. It's more more feel you that you didn't realise that Mademoiselle Geraldine is playing tricks on you. She was really good but though. Agatha. She really she was, was really but also, come on, the only person in the entirety of the school who doesn't realise that the secret is espionage. Really? Also, really? you know, it's a young adult book. You never trust the adults. That's the rule in a young adult book. <laughs> True, true, true. And I do remember the first time reading that going, Agatha! <gasps> no, see, the first time I read it, I went, Mademoiselle Geraldine, really? So. <laughs> What's so your answer, funny. Amanda? Mademoiselle Geraldine. Really? Okay. Like, yay! Okay. <laughs> I have to pick her. I have to. Okay, next question. Would you rather go to the dinner party and theatrical production at Lord Akeldama's or go to the New Year's Eve tea party with the Bunsen boys? This is very hard, for me at least, because if I were Sophronia's age, or the age of the characters in the book, then definitely the Bunsen boys. But at my age, I'd rather go go hang out at Lord Akeldama's. So it really depends on what like life state I'm in. But at this particular life state, uh, it'll be Lord Akeldama's. Because, yeah, of course. <laughs> Who doesn't want to hang out with Lord Akeldama? Really? Yeah, there's no other there's no other answer to this question. You have to want to hang out with Lord Akeldama. He's the best. Yes, but the Bunsen boys are really hot. So, like, if I were 14, that's where I'd want to go. Of course. But in traditional form, fictional hangover, we are always going to pick vampires. Of course. We have to. We have to choose vampires. Even though boys with eyeliner is a good Uh? look. It's a good look. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. (laughs) You cannot tell me that... And none of Lord Akeldama's drones do not have eyeliner. Oh, I'm sure there's eyeliner. I'm sure there's plenty of eyeliner. <laughs> Their fleek will be perfection. Yes. Oh, yes. I'm sure there's one drone who does nothing but specialize in the application of eyeliner. <laughs> oh, we all have our talents in eyeliner fleek. Oh, yes. He can do tiny mustaches. I mean, I'm sure he's very versatile. <laughs> I love it. I just want to be there. All right. Would you rather hunt the pickleman with Mademoiselle Geraldine or Professor Braithwope? This is actually a very difficult question because, uh, like you, I tend to lean in favor of vampires. But Professor Braithwope is a little crazy. So, (laughs) huh. 
Um, but I think I would still pick Professor Braithrope, uh, just for the risk factor of it all, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I feel like he's, you know, he's just, he's stronger. So he, I think he would be more helpful. Well, you know, Mademoiselle Jolie But he might turn crappy. on you. That's the problem. <laughs> he is stronger. <laughs> you look tasty. But, you know. I'm going Mademoiselle Geraldine. I think she'd be a hoot, and you would learn a lot because also. you wouldn't be able to copy. You wouldn't be able to copy Professor Braithwaite. True, true, true. You would be able to emulate Mademoiselle Geraldine. Very true. You exactly. to see her in action. Mm. Mm. Also true. Yeah. yeah, that would be good. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with my vampire though. Like you said, <laughs> all vampires all the time. Got to do it. It's true. It's true. Why can't we ever do option C? <laughs> Both. Both. No. <laughs> not after last above. week. No more. No more option C. Not after last week. Last question. Would you rather blow up a dirigible or crash a dirigible? Definitely crash. Uh, on board and everything. Uh, that That whole sequence was written because I would have liked to have experienced that. Like, I genuinely have a little bit of an over fascination with being very high up which might explain my career actually um but uh and part of that is actually falling out of the sky this has always been weirdly appealing to me and uh yeah and if i wrote it and it were happening then everybody would be all right in the end so uh that's what i want i want to crash it have you ever been skydiving? Though? No, but I totally would. I've been into those indoor skydiving thingamajiggers, and I would unequivocally jump out of any kind of high moving object uh, if, as so long as there was a slim chance of survival, because I love it. I love the sensation of falling. I love the idea of flying. Uh, yes. So I have no fear of heights whatsoever. It's a perfectly good plan, though. Why are you jumping out oh, of I just it? Like so much fun. Why would you not want to jump out of a thing? Uh, this seems very exciting to me. I'm totally one of those people. I will go, uh, you know, I, I will paraglide. I will, yeah, I'll do all the things. I've been up in hot air balloons. Like, I like, I love, I, I used to be, a, you know, better at tree climber as a, as a child. <laughs> like, where is she? Up a tree, usually. Where's the, look up. Uh, onto roofs, all that sort of thing. <laughs> I, I like heights. So, yeah, that I want to, want to crash no. it. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. oh yeah no, I'm, no. I'm staying on the ground um I, w- I will be mademoiselle geraldine in this case I, oh no i'll stay aboard i don't i don't like heights i here i am it's fine everyone enjoy <laughs> your tea don't worry so i have a little picnic and watch it fall yes yeah so no oof i do not no so i guess I don't know if I want to do either one. Can I choose option C here and none of the above? Can no. I just peacefully float quietly inside somewhere, not near any windows or I mean, railings? <laughs> knowing, knowing your fear of heights, Amanda, are you actually getting on the dirigible in the first place? You have to just explode it from the ground. That is the option. That's yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. I'll, are you getting your rocket no, launcher? No, I'll have my, I'll have the crossbow and I'll... Mm. I'll aim it. Very well. Yes, very, very well. <laughs> so I guess that's... Oh, no. Is that going to make me a werewolf then? Because I can't float? Am, am I going to have yes. to be a werewolf instead of a vampire this time? You might. Yes. Can I hang out with soap? 
Yeah. Done. Done. (laughs) (laughs) That was an easy sound. That's the end. Uh, That's the end of that. So that's all I need. Okay. God, I love it. I know. I'm gonna put I'm gonna put my pastries to good use and blow that ship up, and then woo out. So it's, no, just, it's just me riding Charlie's down the Angel craft. style. Uh-huh. All oh. right, that's cool. Oh, I'm getting <laughs> chills just thinking about it. No, Ugh. like the world's most exciting roller coaster. Ooh. <laughs> no, 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 thank you. I'm gonna hang out with a sexy werewolf on the ground. <laughs> I'm good. I'm gonna go dancing with Professor Braithwarp and as we do it, like as the music goes, and it's gonna be like throw pastry. Yes, very good. Explosions in the background, very artistic. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah, very artistic. As we dance, I love it. I love it. You dance to explosions, and then you like lean over and bite a guy and throw him over the edge. Toss that guy over yeah. too. This one's dangle it <laughs> from underneath. Perfect. That's a takeaway snack. <laughs> yeah, save him for later. We'll just save that one for later. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. Well, that was a. I feel like that was a really quick. Would you rather? We're very decisive this week. This is your opportunity to pick yourself up off the floor. You're not a puddle anymore. You're back to human. I'm so proud of you for not crying this time. I know. Phew. At last. It was so precious the last time. Go back and see our other Miss Gale episodes. (laughs) To... Makes witness down change. Yes. Go witness clear crying in other bonus episodes, but also don't forget to go and check out the bonus episode that we have this time with Miss Gale. There's lots of new yes. info that we picked up this time from her, so it's really great. Yes, and we got that little bit of the conversation about ambushing a door. That we, we did that we missed out on for whatever reason. Failed to. I have no idea. I'm gonna. I'll remember. I'll rack my brain, but I'll remember and then probably forget again straight right, away. Yeah, probably. Anyway, unless I message you straight away. One of those things. No, it was so good to talk to her. It was favorite final thought quote. Um. Right. Well, apart from just read the whole, gosh darn book, gosh darn it. Right. Yes. I have a, I could give you a million easy. I know. There's so many. So I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna just gonna go through some. Sure. It's all, it's it's gonna be a bit of a name that character really as well. If I'm going to kill someone, I should be more elegant about it. Gun seem sadly crass. Mm. I'm enjoying wallowing in a maudlin humour. <laughs> that is me. Honestly, yes. I love doing that. Just having like moments of ennui. Yes. Don't bother me. I'm feeling maudlin. I'm having a moment. No. Today I shall be extravagant. Right now I shall be bored. <laughs> I had to do this one. Oh, hold on. <clears throat> you challenge my, challenge, channel my Mademoiselle Charlotte. 
international stuff you talking Z French accents. Mm. All we be well, young people of quality. Stick to your tea. <laughs> oh. So good. And as Lady Lynette very wisely advises, snacks are an essential part of espionage. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Oh, I'm going to re-channel Madame Visage already. Oh, please I've got do. Lords. Use these pastries as needed and do not be scared or ashamed of the necessity. Oh. Uh, last one, last one. It's a little bit of a lengthier one, but it's the last yes. one. Mademoiselle Geraldine blushed. Thank you, my dear. I might have been great, you know. Quite great. But there's more money and less risk in espionage work. Sophronia was startled. Then the theatre. Oh, my, yes, my dear. Horribly dangerous, the West End. Have you ever spent any length of time in the company of dramatic artist types? <laughs> Not unless you count Lord Akeldama. Well then, there you go. <laughs> oh. What have you got? I'm going to have to stop because otherwise I'll probably just, just end up infringing copyright yeah, laws and read the entire thing. Um, <laughs> let's see. Let's see. What do I have? Love of music. It can drive a girl to distraction. Or do I mean... Destruction. As much as she was enjoying it, and this is very important to us, Dimity would always rather talk about reading than actually read. Now, <laughs> don't don't get me wrong. We, of course, love reading, but oh my God, do we love talking about it. I mean, the hours and hours and hours... <laughs> We record ourselves talking about it. I think I we have evidence. We <laughs> oh. Evil geniusness was like that. Showy. <laughs> well, let's see. Let's see. What else do I have? I was rather hoping we could live happily in sin for a very long time. Oh, so. oh, and speaking of, we like the shadows. That's where all the power is. Ooh. And let's see. Um, I think my, <laughs> my last one. A girl wearing a wicker chicken and playing the harp bopped me with a book about buns and then stuffed me under a piano. <laughs> <laughs> that scene with Sophronia terribly playing the harp was fantastic and terribly acting oh, let's face it oh. oh my name is Monique de la <laughs> sure it is oh I am just a female oh <laughs> I am playing the harp the music it is so soothing to the soul oh, oh. <laughs> You could take a few lessons from Mademoiselle Geraldine. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, <sighs> All right. Anywho. If you liked this, try this.
I am going to recommend a Molly Harper book, and it's not the Vampire Jane <sighs> series, which I do harp on about because I love it, but Molly Harper is a chicken soup for the sole author for me. And this one is called Changeling, and it's a Sorcerer and Society series. Um, but it fits in with the whole... You'll, you'll get you'll yes, get the tension. Yes, of course. If 14-year-old Cassandra Reed makes it through her first day at Miss Castwell's Institute for the Magical Instruction of Young Ladies without anyone discovering her secret, maybe, just maybe, she'll let herself believe that she really does belong at Miss Castwell's. Except Cassandra Reed's real name is Sarah Smith, and up until now, she lived her whole life in the Warren, serving a magical family who winters as a non-magical snipes are bound by magical guardian law to do. That is, until one day Sarah accidentally levitates Mrs Winter's favourite vase in the <laughs> parlour. But snipes aren't supposed to have magical powers, and the existence of a magical snipe threatens the world order dictated by it during the Guardian's restoration years ago. If she wants to keep her family safe and to protect her own skin, Sarah must figure out how to fit into posh Guardian society, master her newfound magical powers, and discover the truth about how ordinary girl can become Aww. magical. So you've got the school, you've got the um, supernatural yes. element, and you've got the not. Do you fit in? Do you really fit in? Are you supposed yeah. to be there? Kind of subversion. And Molly Harper does snarky as well and funny. She's like a Sunday afternoon light read when you just want to enjoy That's yourself. Really so I highly recommend. What have you got? Lady of Devices by Shelley Adina. London, 1889. Victoria is queen. Charles Darwin's son is prime minister. And steam is the power that runs the world. At 17, Claire Trevelyan, daughter of Viscount St. Ives, was expected to do nothing more than pour an elegant cup of tea, sew a fine seam, and catch a rich husband. Unfortunately, Claire's talents lie not in the ballroom, but in the chemistry lab, where things have a regrettable habit of blowing up. <laughs> when her father gambles the estate on the combustion engine and loses, Claire finds herself down and out on the mean streets of London. But being a young woman of resources and intellect, she turns fortune on its head. It's not long before a new leader rises in the underworld, known only as the Lady of Devices. When she meets Andrew Malvern, a member of the Royal Society of Engineers, she realizes her talents may encompass more than the invention of explosive devices. They may help her realize her dreams. And his. If they can both stay alive long enough to see that sometimes the closest friendships can trigger the greatest betrayal. That sounds really yeah, good. I thought it sounded really fun. Do we have? I feel like there's an obvious one. Spotlight. Yes, there is. Please tell me it's what I'm thinking. Oh, it of is. course it is. Our new and indie spotlight this week is Gail Carragher's Dear Lord Akeldama and Parasolverse Ephemera. <laughs> Oh, it just came out, and it's wonderful. 
Being a collection of vampire advice columns, silly steampunk philosophical treatises, and deleted scenes from the Parasol Protectorate, and more. Amazing. Love it. It's really It really is. It's just come out. It's not an actual book, like... With chapters no. and characters. It's all from Lord Alkaldama's perspective, and it's just it's just wonderful. It's just a fantastic companion piece for anybody who enjoys any part of the universe. Yes. If it's the finishing skill, the, the Solace, the Parasol Protectorate, or the, the Custard Protocol, or just the novellas, it's just a perfect yes. companion to it. Yes, yes, it, it. really, well, Very really pleased is. you went with that. So pleased you went yes, with that. Yes, of course. Of course. All right, so that's it for this episode of Fictional Hangover. I'm Amanda. And I'm Claire. Join us next time as we discuss one of my favorite books of all time that fits in quite nicely with our new monthly theme, Lovable Asshole. <laughs> We're going to read The Raven Boys by Maggie Stiefvater. <sighs> that was the very first episode of Fictional Hangover, and it was dreadful. So we're going to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> Look out for our Would You Rather polls on social media. Don't forget about our book club and monthly challenges on Facebook. Be sure to visit our shop on Redbubble at fictionalhangover.redbubble.com for all your favorite fictional hangover-themed merchandise and become a patron of ours on Patreon at patreon.com fictionalhangover. Until next time, remember, the only cure for a fictional hangover is another book. You can find us at fictionalhangover.com, follow us on Instagram at fictionalhangover, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fictionalhangover, and on Twitter at fictionalhangover, no E-R. If you like this episode, check out our others, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss out. And finally, special thanks to Liz Emerson for her music. You can find her on Facebook and Patreon. Thanks for listening.